My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Even in high school and then a little bit later in uni, my parents would be like, look, save your dollars when you can buy something, go and then buy something. So that was always in the back of my mind and being... Uh, I would have to go back. I would say it would be when I was 20, 21. That's when I bought my first property. And it was the worst investment that I ever did. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with Michael Shah owner of Mortgage Channel. We'll hear how he manages to run his company and buy 39 properties over a decade, how the surprising number of years it took to complete his degree and we look back on the days when he had so much of a good thing, he didn't know what to do with it. Shah has been investing for the last 10 to 15 years but he's only just getting started. A married man, father of one with another on the way, he manages to find time to run his company, spend time with his family and fulfill his property dreams as he goes. However, at the moment, much of his days are spent chained to a computer approving loans. I think in the current climate, a lot of investors want to buy yesterday just with how much the market is going up. So. Yeah, really, it's just wake up 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm stuck at my desk probably until 8 to 9 o'clock in the evenings. And then we just repeat that. And at the moment, we're working six and a half days a week. So it's pretty full on. That's full on, man. And, and you've got a family of yourself as well. How do you juggle all that from home? It's hard. It's hard. I think one of the ways is to have a lot of support. So we do have help around our little one. Um, my missus works from home too. So she helps in managing the property portfolio. So she assists from that side. But yeah, I think kind of the key consensus is there's not enough time in the day and that's been the case for the past couple of years. <laughs> Shah grew up in Shanghai before moving to Australia when he was seven years old. His family chose to relocate to Sydney where he grew up and has spent most of his life. I would say your typical Asian upbringing in Australia so kid, so as a kid, definitely pushed towards schooling academically. Um, the um, the um, idea was, okay, get a good schooling, go to uni, find a good job and have a family. I mean, that was basically kind of the life plan and uh, followed pretty much a lot of that up until a couple of years into corporate and then I just realized this wasn't for me. And funnily enough, 
we actually met when I was in my corporate role. So we knew each other way before even all of this property stuff started, So, which I think is pretty interesting. <laughs> Shah and I have known each other for a long time, even pre-property investing. From a buddy investor buddy to where he is now is a phenomenal story. When we first knew each other, like property investing was an idea. It was like an inkling of something that can work. And I know over the last 10 years, we've caught up either on the podcast or just as friends. And I guess it's good now in 2022 to kind of reflect back on that 10-year journey and just kind of see how it's unfolded. As he moved from Shanghai to Sydney at just seven years old, his memories from Shanghai are hazy. But he does remember snippets of his early childhood there. Just your typical childhood memories, playing with friends. Um, like I do remember that move from Shanghai to Sydney quite clearly. I remember first coming to this country, the language struggles, uh, getting bullied somewhat at school, mainly because you couldn't communicate. And when we moved to Sydney back then, we actually moved to a suburb called Eastwood. So for those Sydney listeners, Eastwood is essentially Chinatown. It's one half is Korean and also one half is Chinese. But I can tell you in 1991, there was in our grade, there was only two Chinese students and there was no Chinese store in Eastwood whatsoever. So you think of the Granny Smith Festival and kind of everything that that kind of holds, that was kind of Eastwood back then. It is completely different to what it is today. And um, yeah, coming to a new country, having to learn the language, that was definitely a struggle in the first couple of years. And I do remember that quite vividly. He stayed in Eastwood throughout his childhood where he went to Eastwood Primary until he finished his primary education. Before he knew it, he was essentially working in a factory but not the type you'd expect. Started there from year one, uh, went all the way up to year six and I was lucky enough in year six to get into James Roos which is one of the more academically gifted schools in Sydney um, and from that environment uh, both from the teachers and also from parents and also the peers I guess getting good grades at school was really kind of the top of the goals list so they call James Roos like a UAI factory you basically just go through <laughs> and then at the end of it get a good UAI and I would say in terms of high school uh, that was really the only thing that you were kind of taught um, and going to uni uh, it, it, it was just one of those things. I think some kids know what they want to do in life, but I had absolutely no idea um, and just did not know what I wanted to do later in life. And I guess that's why I picked commerce um, for my undergrad in uni, uh, mainly because it gave the broadest possibilities of getting a job. Um, and the other thing I remember vividly is in high school, in terms of your day, your after-hour school in terms of what you're meant to do, it was very regimented. And when I went to uni, the lecturer didn't care if you didn't do your homework. It, they didn't care if you didn't go to uh, the tutorial. So um, I think for the first two and a half years of my uni career, I probably only went to less than maybe 15 classes altogether. <laughs> No, no, and, you know, we are, I, 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 I mean, we have common friends around uni and it was just like a continual joke that I would just never go to uni. And to put it into perspective, I did commerce, which is a three-year degree. It took me eight and a half years to finish just because I failed so much. 
Okay. So you kind of went from this ultra strict high school environment where academically that was everything. And then when I went to uni, just lost control. <laughs> so I do think like a strict schooling can be good, but like I've actually, I, I don't know if there's any kind of truth to it, but the number of people from our school that actually didn't do that well in uni, the percentage was actually quite high just because you came from this environment that there was so much pressure to perform and suddenly then you're let loose in uni and just don't know how to control yourself. He credits his casual job as his saving grace. While it started out as a casual role, he soon proved his worth and ended up having more money than he knew what to do with it at that time. So I started off working in market research, had a casual job there. Um, and what are, and and then what happened from casual is then the hours just started to increase. Basically, the team manager that I was working in this market research company will go to all the students, schedule for the shifts, and the other students will be like, oh, I've got assignments to do, I've got exams to study for, and then they just kept asking me, do I want more shifts? And every time I just put my hand up. So getting paid casually as like an eighteen-year-old, um, going to uni and paying them to teach me whereas I was at work I was learning about market research and getting paid for it I was just like freak work is so much better than going to uni so I just spent all my time working as an 18 year old getting paid 150 200 dollars for a work day it's just like <laughs> you um, felt like you had so much money that you just couldn't spend it if you wanted to <laughs> he stayed at his first company AC Nelson for seven years when he was 25, he jumped to a rival market research company called Lightspeed and stayed there until he was 30 when the property bug bit him hard. I guess the property journey starts off quite young for me and I guess coming from an Asian Chinese family, that notion of investing or buying a place is kind of instilled on you. So I do remember, you know, even in high school and then a little bit later in uni, my parents would be like, look, save your dollars. When you can buy something, go and then buy something. So that was always in the back of my mind. And being, uh, I would have to go back, I would say it would be when I was 20, 21. That's when I bought my first property. And it was the worst investment that I ever did. When I speak to clients now, I reflect back on that and I share my story just so that they don't rush in and then buy a property just as a whim. So kind of to paint that story, it was actually at a friend's party that we were playing poker one night and one of my friends that has no background in property investing knows nothing about it but just goes, hey, look, there's an off the plan being built across from Epping Station. Um, I think it's got really good potential. I'm thinking of buying something in that complex. Why don't you have a look at it? And knowing nothing about property investing and thinking, oh, actually, this might be a really good idea. I went the very next day, got shown through the showroom and I saw the sauna, the gym, the pool and it was a very good sales technique and I'm like, man, i got to get into this building. So I basically turned around to the person on the spot there and asked him, what is the cheapest unit that I can buy to get into this complex? And he goes, the bottom level studio, you can buy for 340000 and to put things into perspective, this would have been about 2002, 2003. 340,000 back then in Sydney could have bought you a house in Blacktown. And then this was a 39 square meter shoebox in Epping. 
Um, and lo and behold, I signed on the spot. While he was quick to sign, he was also quick to forget, which led to some interesting discussions with his friends. And because it was off the plan and they weren't going to build for the next two years, I just kind of parked it away. I didn't even think about it. The um, next time that it kind of came to fruition was when they were going, hey, looks, it's only about two or three months until settlement, which was two um, years later. And I do remember at the time, I, of course, hadn't saved the money for the deposit up until then. I was borrowing from friends just to pay for the deposit. And ever since, since holding that property, that property today, if I had to sell it, over almost 20 years, it's gone from about 340000 to maybe 500000 for a studio in Epping. It's very difficult to rent out. Like if you go through Epping, there's just high rises after high rises. We've had to drop the rent continually. COVID hasn't helped in that regard. If I had put the same 340000 in a house in, say, for instance, Western Sydney, that house will be worth easily eight to 900000 the key lesson I get from that is just, I mean, there's many units in Epping that have done phenomenally well. Um, houses have done phenomenally well, but the key part comes down to research. I bought at the top of the last Sydney cycle, bought something that was way overpriced, did not do my research. <clears throat> and even to this day, like almost 20 years later, I'm paying the penalties for it. And it's like every quarter, they still increase the strata rates on us. It's like crazy. For a studio, I think the strata is over like 1,500. It's a joke. Despite his parents urging him to buy his first property, they weren't exactly investors themselves. However, they weren't novices when it came to property either. They was a traditional kind of mindset where the property is for where you live. So they moved from Eastwood. We bought a two-bedroom unit. Um, I think back then they paid like 100000 for it. Then they sold it for like 130000 to move into a duplex in Oatlands. And then they sold that. And each time they bought and sold, they literally bought and sold at the same price. And, <laughs> and this is like, you know, five, eight years later. And it's unfathomable to even speak about Sydney in that light because everyone just thinks Sydney a couple of years and you'll double your money. But during those times, it wasn't like that. I mean, the interest rates were more than 10%. My parents just didn't get the timing right. And each time, they would almost buy at a peak and then sell at a low. But then we moved from Oatlands and um, then we moved to Glenwood after that. And again, they you know kind of bought a little bit higher. And uh, like they always knew to buy properties, but it was a very different concept in terms of investing as we know investing today. Coming up after the break, we delve into how easily influenced he was in the early days. I then purchased a unit in Macquarie Park, an older red brick style of unit. Uh, this would have been 2010. And again, it was just by whim. It was no research whatsoever. He shares the reason why not knowing what you want to do early on isn't the be all and end all. That was the tipping point for me to explore other options. So be it running your own business, be it investing in shares, be it investing in properties. And I never really knew what I wanted to do. We hear about one of his early investments brimming with drama and conspiracy theories. It settled and the settlement was really close to Christmas. So it would have been like a week out from Christmas. And this property needed work. It was, you know, in very, very poor condition. And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory.
Hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So, I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with low risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Shah's parents may not have gotten the timing right in the beginning but once they saw the result of their son's hard work, they felt it was time to try again. When I did get into investing quite heavily, um, they also saw how it worked, the numbers behind it. So later in life, like in their 50s, then they started getting into property investing. They hold now more than 10 properties and have done very, very well from it. So. It also shows from their journey that it's never too late to get started. I've got clients coming to me and saying, hey, I'm in my 40s, is it too late? And I think to my parents, they were in their mid to late 50s and they still did very well out of it. He was still working full-time in market research when he got into property investing where every day reminded him how badly he wanted to complete his career transition. I bought that property when I was quite young and then we'll be four or five years later and I was just not knowing what to do with money but I'll be working a large number of hours saving putting into the bank account and it would just slowly grow with time not really knowing what to do. I then purchased a unit in Macquarie Park, an older red brick style of unit. Uh, this would have been 2010 and again, it was just by whim. It was no research whatsoever. Um, again, it was another friend. Uh, you can tell it was easily influenced back then. Uh, but his parents actually owned four units in that complex. And it was a funny story because uh, every time I go and pick him up for touch footy training, he would give me a different address. He'll be like, pick me up from unit 39. Next time, I'll be like, unit 45. And then the following time, I'll be like, unit 52. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, are you homeless? Are you going between all of these units? <laughs> and then he goes, oh, actually, my parents own all of these units and they just rent them out to uni students and they do pretty well from it. And I'm like, oh, that's actually really interesting. That's, that's a great idea. And then just lo and behold, like it would have been a couple of weeks after that conversation, two units came up for sale from the same owner. I um, went with dad and we basically gave what the agent was asking for um, and then bought both those units. So my parents bought one and then I bought one. And being an older style unit in Macquarie, over time it's performed quite well. Um, uh, you know, like I put a kind of a caveat on that. Since COVID, it hasn't done too well, but all units in Sydney haven't done too well. But up until then, it's been really, really good for us. So that was the extent of the research on the second one. He'd spent close to 10 years in the corporate world when he started to feel the accumulation of its effects. Being young, I love corporate. I love going to work, learning, um, climbing the corporate ladder. But then I think everyone gets a point in time where they start to get jaded. <laughs> there's only so many no's and so, so many sorry you're not going to get your bonus this year that eventually it starts to take its toll so I would say this is probably about you know seven eight years into corporate that I start to wonder hey look 
every year I've been getting a 2% pay increase on my 70, 80,000. I was looking at where that would take me. And if I even fast forward that 10, 20 years, I was like, frick, this is not going to give me the lifestyle that I wanted. And that, that was the tipping point for me to explore other options. So be it running your own business, be it investing in shares, be it investing in properties. And I never really knew what I wanted to do. And it was almost a light bulb moment in that sense when I started to come across a number of property investors. There was one that stood out by miles ahead of the others. And uh, some of your listeners would know is called Nathan Birch. Um, So back then, he would have been only 26, 27. And he was posting these YouTube videos of him renovating this fire burnt places in Western Sydney for like 30,000 turning them into properties that will get positive rent. And he had 75 properties at that point in time. <laughs> and to be honest, I thought I was doing quite well with two properties. And I'm like, freak, this guy's younger than me with 75 properties and he didn't even finish uni. I'm like, what the freak? And that set me down a rabbit hole of just researching properties. And that was really the turning point. And the more that I learned, the more that my eyes were opened up I was very fortunate to meet some people in my journey that have helped me immensely. One of them being my mortgage broker, Rolf, uh, who mentored me. And he basically then kind of opened up this world of possibilities in terms of, yes, you can actually, if you buy the right types of properties, structure it in the right way, you can do quite well from it. So I would say it would have been from the second property onwards when the light bulb moment then switched for me. Now, in his late 30s, Shah is reaping the rewards of his years of hard work and determination. He looks back to his philosophies and goals he's achieved and plots out a few more. That light bulb moment, to put it specifically, happened in 2013. That's when I really got addicted to property investing, was living and breathing property investing. So, in 2013, I had two investment properties. So, fast forward nine years, 2022. Me and my wife currently hold 39 properties. Awesome. <laughs> and how old are you now, if I might ask? <laughs> Not revealing too much. <laughs> so I'm turning 38 this year. That's awesome. That, it's, it's almost like a 39 properties when you're 38 or 38. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the funniest thing was, right? So when I was starting out, I um, had this goal of being financially free by 33 because it rhymed. And then part of that was trying to buy 33 properties by 33. And that didn't eventuate. I, 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 I didn't get that far. And then the next goal after what was that was 36 by 36. And I remember it was like one month before my birthday. And I was like, freak, I have to buy a property. And we finally did buy that property. So it hit 36 by 36. So now I kind of feel after that, it's going to be a lot easier. So... <laughs> Shah is never short of stories to tell and while most of them are impactful and inspiring, some are more the stuff of investor nightmares. But I will say that a lot of the character building situations happen early on in your investment journey and I'll say if I'm working with new investors um, looking to build their property portfolio, it's that early portion that's really um, important mainly because I mean, even when I was building the property portfolio, you'll see Nathan Birch 
you know, with 75 properties, you'll see other people on Property Chat, which is another forum that I learned so much from. A lot of the people that I met in my journey was through from Property Chat and they would have, you know, 20, 30 properties. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, of course, you know, you um, could do that. You um, were buying in Western Sydney when the property prices were 150 to 100,000. Of course, you would do it back then. So early on, whenever you got a setback or something didn't quite go your way, then that would really affect you. Um, so I'll give you an example of that. So this would have been my fourth purchase. Um, and to kind of put it into context, uh, in 2013, Sydney market was starting to go up. Um, I still remember vividly going to Mount Druitt, going to auctions and for a three bedroom fibro shack and it was, you know, punched in, auctioned off by the housing commission. They were selling for about 240000 And And I, I, I mean, this is, uh, I am even did building and pest on all the auctions that I attended, which is something that I wouldn't do today because it's just, you know, throwing money down the drain in um, some instances. But I decided not to buy those because two months earlier, those properties were selling for 210. <laughs> yeah, hindsight's a beautiful thing. I, hindsight should have told me that that would have been the perfect time to buy it, but I'm like, hey, look, this is crazy. This is overheated. 30,000 in two months, it's like, I mean, you know, where can it go from here? It was here that he moved away from looking in Mount Druitt and Western Sydney and focused his sights on the regions surrounding the city. And I remember reading Property Chat back then, it was called Summersoft. And during that time when they analyzed previous cycles, every time Sydney went up, a year or two later, the satellite cities went up. So your Newcastles and your Wollongongs will then start to go up after that. So I remember one weekend I'll drive up to Newcastle, then the next weekend I'll drive down to Wollongong and I was just searching for properties. And the property market back then in Newcastle was so dead. It was like you would go to an open home and it would just be so out of the blue for the agent to see someone from Sydney drive all the way to Newcastle to buy. And, 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 and then I'm like, why do you even want to buy here? Like, you know, it doesn't go up in Newcastle. Um, and I bought two properties one for 220,000 it was a three it was a three bedroom study on 600 square meters in Cardiff and I also bought a two bedroom on 800 square meters in Gateshead for 195,000 so incredibly cheap to put it into perspective I don't like I'll be honest I don't know the prices of Newcastle very very accurate right now but they're around 7 to 800,000 that's what they've been selling for but the hard part of in terms of kind of the um, setback that I experienced is a card of property that I bought it settled and the settlement was really close to Christmas so it would have been like a week out from Christmas and this property needed work it was you know in very very poor condition the tenant that was living in there before was a hoarder so uh, like you literally needed to get um a skip bin there just to kind of fill it with all the rubbish and then remove it. So when I got the property, it needed a lot of work. But because it was over Christmas, I could get no tradies in for a good month and a bit. And during that stage, I was getting phone calls from the next door neighbor telling me that, oh, someone's been trashing your property. 
As a landlord, those are the kinds of words that send shivers down your spine. Although he had no idea what he was in for, he wasn't going to let anybody mess with what he'd worked so hard to earn. Every couple of days, they'll give me a call and go, oh, your windows just got smashed in. Oh, I heard someone like breaking into your home. And like it was giving me sleepless nights and I would go out to the property and each time I'd just see another five or $10,000 more worth of repairs. If you wanted to, I could send you some photos of just everything being punched in, but it was like crazy. And I didn't know who it was. And I mean, at one point, I thought it was the builder that I had hired. I thought he was doing a dodgy on me because sometimes he would report the damages to me. I thought he was going to the property, smashing in some walls and going, oh, Michael, your um, renovation bill just went up another 5000 <laughs> Just so you could charge? Well, that's crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then we like drove up there, like every time we got her, we'll drop off stuff. Me and my dad, like I'll grab him in the car and then we'll drive out and things like that. We'll um, go to the neighbors, you know, give them a box of beer and just go, hey, look, can you please look out for this property? See if you can catch anyone. Michael Shah's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. We'll hear the thrilling conclusion to the Cardiff tale. But through that whole experience, the sleepless nights, you're going into property investing not knowing if it could work. And then there was points of time where I was like, freak, maybe I should sell this property, not have to deal with the headache, don't even know if this could work. The interstate weekend adventures that nearly put an end to his investment career before it could even start. It was okay if you found a property, but I mean, most of those trips were fruitless. And uh, I, 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 I guess it was just really wanting to, you know, quit corporate and having that goal in mind that really kind of pushed you ahead. He demonstrates how Subbert's reputation can influence your perception of it, but why it's important to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. Me and my dad went to the hire car place. I think it was called Alpha Cars or something. And the guy at the counter goes, where are you going to? And I'm like, Logan. And he just made this face and goes, why the hell are you going there? And I'm like, to buy properties. And like, and he was like, are you serious? And that's next time on Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now and I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. 
every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 